Hey everybody, welcome back. This is GRE Bytes. My name is Davis. I'm an educator with over 10 years of experience. And I'm Orion, the founder of Stellar GRE. We're here to bring you your weekly bite-sized episode on GRE prep and grad school admissions. Check out our top-rated GRE self-study program at stellargre.com and use the code BITES, all caps or lowercase, case insensitive, for 10% off all memberships. Let's get to it. Okay, so in a recent episode, we talked about the fact that the GRE is changing coming in September of 2023, roughly coming in at half the length, but with mostly the same content and same form. Um, so we want to get into a little bit about why this is changing, why this change is taking place now, wh um, why half of a total time is you know beneficial, how it could be. So I want to get your thoughts on these subjects, Orion. Sure. So there's... First, we'll talk about the official line from ETS. The official line from ETS is that the test is changing to accommodate the student. And there might be some truth to that. Uh, the president of ETS has basically said that we're listening to the students. The students have complained that the test is needlessly long. We are receptive to our audience and to our customers. And so while maintaining rigor and validity of the test, we are accommodating student wishes. And they also have the line that by making it shorter, they can decrease the turnaround in the dissemination and release of the official scaled scores, which means that graduate programs will receive those scores more quickly than they used to. I don't buy the second one nearly as much as the first one because like, you can see your scaled scores within two minutes of taking the current administration. The bottleneck is on the essays, which while they are graded by a computer algorithm, need to also be graded using the same rubric by a human grader. By cutting it from two essays to one, I guess you can cut the review time in half functionally. So maybe that is true, that with only one essay to grade as opposed to two human graders can confirm the algorithm's assessment more rapidly. But I do think that that really hasn't been much of a bottleneck either because trained graders, I mean, I got my start as an essay grader in test prep. And after just a few weeks, you can grade an essay in less than 60 seconds. So if you have just a few essay graders, this is something that they could handle on mass in the current form very easily. In any case, those are the official lines for why the test is changing. And you mentioned in a previous episode that you had taken, you know, tests to get your perfect score right at the transition between an older form and the and the now current form, but soon to be old form. Uh, you know, why? What's what benefit is it to the market, to universities, uh, even to students to, to have a test that changes every 15 to 20 years? Yeah, that's a good reminder. It's been about 15 years since the last major revision, and it was an, a major revision. They introduced the writing section. They introduced new question formats that weren't, and they deleted old question formats. The verbal section in particular looked very different between the pre-2008 and the current version. By comparison, the transition from the current version to the one that's going to be available later this year is really 
mostly in terms of the length as opposed to the content or the format. So it's a, it's a smaller change, but it's going to feel very different to a lot of students because of that cut from four hours to two hours. It's interesting because we might learn the fuller story for why this change is occurring as time progresses. Because for example, one of the major reasons why ETS changed the test back in 2008 in a radical way is at around that time, the board of the California regents who control the UC system, the University of California system, which is the largest university system in the country, was making it, um, was casting doubt on the appropriateness or the validity of standardized tests. And they were toying with the possibility of not requiring those standardized tests in their admissions process. And that would be a huge hit for ETS. There would be hundreds of thousands of fewer tests sold every year if the UC schools no longer required it. And so my understanding is that ETS and the Board of Regents did a lot of backdoor conversations about, well, what kind of changes would the regents feel comfortable making to keep the standardized tests an appropriate and relevant aspect of their admissions process. And that's where we got the essay because they thought that there was a, there should be a greater focus on actual writing ability. And there's, I can see their point. You do a lot of writing in college. And so I can't, I'm not going to say that the regions dictated what was going to happen on the new test, but they certainly, uh, the test creators, I think, took that feedback because the UC program was one of their, I mean, they don't actually buy the tests, but they are one of their biggest, let's say, affiliates. Um, and they were adapting to maintain their market share. And I think something similar is probably happening today. About five years ago, the GRE was unstoppable. It was gobbling up market share in the test prep industry. There was a big coup when business schools began to accept the GRE as well as the GMAT. The GMAT used to have that its own little niche in the marketplace and the GRE came in and swallowed that up. And then even law schools started accepting the GRE. And so the LSAT no longer had its little niche. So the GRE was just like becoming this Leviathan in the marketplace. Almost every grad school program of any kind, unless you were going to become a medical doctor, accepted the GRE about five years ago, was doing really, really well. Then, um, COVID and the shutdowns and a lot of programs waived the GRE requirement for a few years. Some, a lot of programs have brought that back. A lot of programs haven't. There's also been the introduction into the marketplace of a few shorter tests like the executive assessment, which is about 75 or 90 minutes long and is now being accepted at a lot of not all MBA programs, but a lot of executive MBA programs next to the GRE. And I think the GRE has been losing market share in the last three years because of changes in requirements around the COVID shutdowns and increased competition from shorter versions of uh, shorter tests like the EA. And I think this is its way of, of staying relevant in the marketplace. I think it's actually a really smart move uh, because I do think that I mean, they were so gargantuan five years ago. It was almost like they, they had nowhere more to go up. Um, and certain factors were chipping into its dominance and they're, they're adapting to try to maintain 
their market share, which is still the largest player. That's, that's my two cents. No, I really appreciate that. So you've got, you've got ETS's kind of official statement that they want to main, you know, balance two factors. They want to maintain rigor and validity, but also um, address student experience, you know, get, create a better experience for the students who need to take it. But, and then we kind of have this overarching history of the evolution of the test and how it changes both from, you know, uh, economic forces, business forces, but also um, the university, uh, you know, affiliation uh, force as well. I really appreciate that uh, deep dive into that. And if you want to know more, please uh, check out uh, StellarGRE at um, .com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back. Uh, next week with another episode. And if you have a topic, please uh, email us at stellargre at gmail.com. Um, that self-study program we talked about on GRE, it's top rated. You can find that at stellargre.com and use the code BITES for 10% off uh, any membership there. Thanks again.